Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feminifesto podcast. Today we are in conversation with Angelica Aribam, a political activist and a fourth wave feminist. For more than half a decade, Angelica has been working on issues of race, gender, student welfare and the democratization of politics. Hailing from Manipur in the ethnically and economically marginalized northeastern region of India, she was motivated to get involved in politics by experiencing injustice and discrimination firsthand. realizing that politics was the best way to change the status quo she was the first student from the northeastern region of india to be elected in the delhi university executive committee india's prominent student body and she was named one of forbes india's 30 under 30 in 2017 she is also a former national general secretary of the national students union of india the students wing of the indian national congress With a bachelor's degree in biochemistry from the University of Delhi and a master's degree in public policy from Peking University, China, Angelica is on a quest for learning. As a staunch advocate for gender and racial rights, she regularly writes for various Indian publications, including the Indian Express, The Wire, The Daily O, amongst others. In her spare time, she loves to read, cook, and model. Hello Angelica thank you so much for being with us today on our feminist podcast so we want to start off by asking you what motivated you to join politics in india thank you so much for having me i grew up in new delhi i mean my parents moved me to new delhi i am basically from manipur but as a teenager i grew up in new delhi and people from the northeastern region of india face a lot of discrimination in delhi be it while walking on the street or you know being in classrooms you get to hear all kind of cat calls and I mean just I mean it's not really a favorable place to be and especially as a young teenage girl I've seen it far worse than others I think but um after a point you get used to it then suddenly there comes a point where the breaking point where you feel like okay enough i had enough of this now i want to do something about it that breaking point came for me when the, uh, a young northern boy was killed in bangalore this was in 2012 so then i felt that okay i mean i'm just not going to sit in my house and do absolutely nothing about it i have to get out there i have to make my voice heard and the best way for it to be done was through politics so that is how i joined politics to be able to raise my voice for my people that's actually an extremely important point that you brought up there because the experience of women on the one hand uh, is by itself challenging in politics but the experience of a woman from the northeast in a country that's already poised in terms of discrimination certainly must have been doubly challenging northeast india has very little representation in mainstream indian politics or even mainstream media mm-hmm. uh, as somebody who was looking in on the system in that kind of mm-hmm. state, how how difficult was it to get in and what were your challenges in the first um thankfully for me i think um it was not that difficult to get into the system um I joined the student wing of the Indian National Congress which is the NSCY the National Students Union of India and uh, at that point in time there was a lot of conversations happening regarding justice for not just people in campuses you know 
and that was the point when i decided to join and thankfully for me the organization opened its door towards me and also another thing was i was elected in delhi university's um uh, campus law center which is like the hub of political activity in uh, in the student fraternity so i got elected there and it kind of propelled me to further you know be involved so for me it was easy not so difficult but i would say that i had been in a position of privilege because i um, mean i grew up in new delhi i know how to speak hindi well enough and uh, not i it was also uh, it was also a matter of timing because it was the time where conversations about not eastern students were happening in campuses but i'm sure that it's not so easy for others and i see young women and young boys from the north who want to get into the system but um, they they do face a lot of hardship and the journey is not easy at all i mean there are a lot of roadblocks that you have to encounter but thankfully for me it wasn't so difficult after all So can you tell us a bit more about your experience working with the National Students Union of India? Um uh, I I worked in the National Students Union of India uh for around 5 years from 2012 onwards till 2017. 2017 I resigned from its national uh, from my position as National General Secretary uh because I I mean being at the hub of you know political activities student activism for nearly 5 years i decided that it was time for me to get into academics you know get an academic grounding of whatever i have learned and experienced politically so i took a sabbatical and uh, went ahead to pursue public policy and um, but prior to that my experience was um it was a fulfilling experience i would say but it came with its own challenges being a woman in politics always has its own challenges and uh, especially so i like i was saying being in delhi university when i contested elections um, there is always this misogyny that comes at the fore you know like you're a girl uh, and uh, you shouldn't be wearing skirts you shouldn't be wearing revealing clothes you know all these things you should be wearing a kurta or a white t-shirt or a white shirt in order to get votes otherwise i mean if you dress up in this manner people will not vote for you if you dress up in that manner then you will get more votes this kind of moral policy policing was always there um, but um, the challenges were there but the good things were also there and there were a lot of learning experience for me when um, i got to work on issues like net neutrality i got to work on issues like um uh, sen- uh like uh, sanitation you know um fem- feminine hygiene in uh, the prisons and uh, advocating for rights of young tribal girls in uh, chhattisgarh we did a patiyatra for 12 days traveling walking you know a patiyatra for 12 days we walked a lot from kanker to raipur and i got to travel a lot across the country like as travel to around 21 22 states of the country trying to understand what what problems the students are facing that's really uh, interesting to see how your journey was riddled with a lot of obstacles a lot of sexism misogyny that a lot of women face 
So the NSUI of India um, is a part of the Indian National Congress. Can we ask you why? What drew you to the party that you're currently working with? Um, you know, for me, when when I thought of politics, the Indian National Congress was the only option that came to my mind because. As a young girl, I grew up reading uh, books by Nehru. Especially when I was a young girl, I stumbled upon um, letters from father to a daughter, you know, which was Nehru Ji's letter to Indra Ji. And uh, I mean, that has been. And having studied the Indian Constitution during my school days and later in college as well, I mean. So it it was kind of natural for me to go for the Indian National Congress because of the inclusive nature of the party, you know, non-divisive, non-communist. Because today in India we see a very divisive party which is ruling the country and there is hatred all over. But for me back then it was natural that if it was politics, then it had to be the Congress. Thank you so much for sharing that, Angelica. It's uh... Certainly makes a lot of sense. And uh, what interests me most about this is the kind of research you put into it. So I spent a couple of years in my life just talking to a lot of people, some of whom included politicians and political leaders. And I noticed something really interesting. When I asked male political leaders why they were drawn to the party they represented, almost all of them would just say something relating to how powerful that party was or just the question of how that's going to serve them better in terms of their career. And as Vaishnavi would also attest, all the women we've talked to in this space with their manifesto have always shown a sense of prudence. There's due diligence, there's research, there's so much effort going on behind it. And when you flip the coin on what the world sees outside, women get the tougher deal, just like you also said, right? Like the misogyny, the trolling, the harassment. Um, would you be able to share a little bit about it, your experiences as a woman in politics with respect to the kind of treatment you face? Um, there are various challenges depending on whether you're a man or a woman, you know. But uh, more importantly, I think it's more difficult for a woman to be in politics, especially women who belong to marginalized sections. Because if you get to look at the figures, facts and figures, then you'll see that majority of the politicians, women politicians who have been successful, belong to either political families or are in, married into the political families. Um, it comes down from the fact that politics, it's not a short journey. It has to be a long journey. I mean, you cannot just enter the system today and become a minister tomorrow unless you come from privilege. You need to struggle for a long period of time and... It, it doesn't even pay you. I mean, you have to sustain yourself. It's not really a career option, you know, because you need to have an income on your own to be able to sustain within the system. So it's really interesting that you mentioned systemic barriers to entry for women in politics. And you spoke about your personal experience about how a lot of people told you to dress more conservatively. For example, by wearing white coat does to be taken more seriously. And... A couple of years ago, when the Chief Minister of Tamil Nadu, Jailalita, passed away, I had done a lot of research about her transition into her political career from the status of being a star of a, a film actress in uh, Hollywood. So 
I just wanted, and I found out that um, in order to be taken more seriously, she had to completely change her persona and her outward appearance and change into a more motherly figure. And she had to desexualize herself by doing this. Um, for example, wearing more uh, conservative saris, uh, not wearing any more jewelry or gold accessories and uh, etc. So I wanted to ask you, what is your take on this? And do you think that these kind of um, sexist attitudes can be changed? Yeah, so um, like I was saying, when I started out, I was just, I mean, I was told to wear kurtas and, you know, not to wear revealing clothes. But um, over a period of time, I kind of developed the confidence within myself as I do politically as well as individually to put my foot down and to do away with the restraints that I had imposed upon myself based on the stereotypes which were set by the society. So, but uh, it didn't come easy. I mean, I had to have the confidence. I had to grow as I mean, both politically and as, as well as an, as, as an individual. But it wasn't so easy, and women still need to conform in order to survive. I mean, not just in terms of clothes, but also in terms of opinions as well. Um, but uh, it is going to take time. I mean, I cannot really expect that one woman or two women out there, I mean, trying to change everything because the society needs to understand that they need to stop seeing women as this ideal you know, um, like sari wearing and ideal, what do you call it? They have this image set by all this stars, bahu, soap operas, where the picture of an ideal bahu is already decided. Similarly, the picture, the image of an ideal bahu is already, uh, ideal politician is already, you know, um, you know, set in their heads already. So it's going to take time, but uh, it's not something that can be changed overnight. But if, and we need more and more women out there embracing themselves and, you know, whatever they feel like wearing in public. And I see that happening a lot. Like, if you go out in a market where I see, I mean, being in Delhi, I get to see a lot of young, you know, women politicians from across party lines, um, not just sticking to their salwar kameez or their saris, but I actually see them in jeans roaming around the market. So that is kind of, you know, this is something that we wouldn't have expected like five, ten years ago. This is something which is very new, um, something that has happened maybe in the last five years or so. And it's starting catching up where people have, I mean, women politicians have been more comfortable to get out in, in clothes that they are comfortable in. And they're getting their pictures clicked and putting up on social media, which is slowly and steadily changing the mindset of the people, hopefully. Absolutely, and uh, couldn't agree more there because I see you and I see you as that example that's leading this path in so many different ways alongside several of the world's women political leaders. So, Angelica, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about some of the amazing things that you've done, one of which is to find yourself on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Could you tell us about that? I was on the list uh, in 2017. And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I was, it, it's always nice to be recognized for your work and I was happy that I was on the list, but life goes on, right? So you were recently selected as a fellow for the first um, 
Vital Voices Engage cohort and you were in Florence recently. Can you please yes. tell us about your experience there? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Not just because Florence is a beautiful city, but um, being in a room filled with so many women leaders from across the world, you know, like that amount of energy in that room, it was contagious. And uh, also another thing, I mean, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was like women across the world, no matter which country you come from, I mean, we all face the same problems. We all face problems of misogyny. We all face the same kind of harassment on social media or attacks by political opponents, you know. And um, of course, the funding issues, it's something that is, very what do you call it universal in nature but um, being in that room with all those amazing women from across the world it also kind of you know it was a moment of solidarity with each other that you know that the feeling that sister i know what you're going through you know we are here we are here to I mean, even if there is no solution to it the fact that we are all going to the same thing and together we'll find some solution at the end of it it was a very good feeling. That's really amazing uh, to hear. So, considering that you noticed many similarities between your fellow cohorts and yourself, what kind of differences did you notice? Yeah, there was there was far too many similarities that you know we didn't. I don't think that we spent any time looking at differences. But, um, of course, um, some societies are more accepting of having women at the helm, and some other societies take a lot more time. For example, um, we, I mean, India, we had our first prime minister, woman prime minister in Indira Gandhi way back, right? And, uh, but the U.S., even though it's already so advanced, they haven't had a woman president so far. But... Other than that, I mean, the similarities, I mean, I think I was far more involved in looking at the similarities rather than the, uh, uh, no, not really. I really can't think of any. What are your future plans? What do you see yourself um, maybe doing in the next five years, the next 10 years? What are your political goals, if you're okay with them? You know, mm, I mean, I have so much in my head that it's so difficult to actually say, write them all down and say what I'm going to do in the next five years. But there are some things that I definitely want to do in the next five years. And uh, on the top of which is my desire to see more young women in politics. And uh, I mean, in India, we currently don't have any system or mechanism wherein we will be able to mentor young girls, you know, and train them to get into politics and like basically teach them the integrities of how to survive within the system without with all its challenges. So I would like to set up a, a kind of a mentoring platform and a support network so that we will be able to help out young girls to get into into politics more and more of them because God knows we know we need more women in politics especially in Indian politics with all that hatred today. Other than that, I'm also considering, I mean, being a 
being a member of the Indian National Congress. I mean, whatever the party wants me to do, I am there for it. Um, I mean, if you look at it from the organizational point of view, whatever the party thinks that I should be doing, I am out there and ready to accept my responsibilities. But uh, more importantly, as a feminist, I want to ensure that, you know, we, uh, the women folk, we have more say in policymaking. We have more say in, and I mean, we are done being, you know, subjugated all this while. So, I mean, I want to give voice to more and more young girls, irrespective of whether they want to join politics or not. I mean, that is another thing for the mentorship. But other than that, I want to inspire and motivate in lots more young women out there to find their own voice. As someone who's studying um, international relations and who's trying to keep up with the extremely fast pace of politics, that it gives me so much hope that you want to bring more young women into politics and bring up programs to mentor them, to encourage them to speak up and to use their voices. That's really amazing, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, you can come and join politics as well, run for office. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely you would consider that. So we want to end by asking you, what kind of advice would you give to young and aspiring politicians in India? That um, it's not an easy cakewalk. Be ready to face the challenges, but at the end of the day, it's all worth it because um, your one voice, your one message, your one action could change somebody else's life. Absolutely beautiful. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, those are some very, very powerful words. And to work together and walk together in this journey, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, thank you so much, Angelica, for your time and for sharing your story, your experiences, and also nuggets of wisdom and knowledge from your journey. Uh, here's wishing you more success, lots of strength and power as you go on in your journey.